Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4203 of the Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world with me, Andy Zaltzman, coming to you exclusively live and in zero dimensions from the shed here in South London. We are recording on August the 30th of August. That is a new date system we're using to please our listeners on all possible sides of the Atlantic. In the year 2021, we are still using the old system of years, counting up from the birth of Jesus Herbert Christ, the influential Middle East-based entertainer, rather than the new system of counting down to the end of the world, by which system it is the 30th of August 2021. Oh, what a happy coincidence. Um, no, that is the end of the world, not the end of civilization, which could be significantly closer. How do I know that? Well, good journalists never reveal their sources, as I discovered during a very frustrating queue at the Burger Van at the National Society of Investigative Reporters annual conference. Joining me this week from San Francisco, California, it's Nato Green. Hello, Nato. How are you? Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Uh, it's it's wildfire season in California, which means this is the time of year where I monitor air quality index stats like you monitor cricket scores. Um, <laughs> every minute, uh, I'm, I'm tracking all of the sensors in my neighborhood to tell me when I can complete a full uh, respiratory cycle uh, <laughs> because the smoky haze is drifting down from the mountains. Um, uh, this summer, Andy, I was able to, thanks to the power of the vaccines, see some of my family who I had seen in a year and a half. And uh, I spent some time with my niece, who's three, and I was wearing a Bugle t-shirt and we were playing on the floor and she pointed at my bugle t-shirt and she pointed at the drawing of your head and she said, is he angry? Uh, and I said, just at Jacob Rees-Mogg for some reason. And she said, he's a cunt, but she's three, so it's okay. Um, well, that's a, that's a hot, 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 um, hot warming story. And if, uh, uh, any Bugle listeners want to get hold of a Bugle t-shirt to wear um, and terrify their three-year-old relatives, do go to the Bugle website and click the merch button. Uh, Unsolicited also... product placement. <laughs> <laughs> also uh, joining us from the very same continent that I'm on, uh, Europe, it's Mark Steele. Uh, hello, Mark. How are you? Uh, I'm fine, sir. I'm fine. I'm um listen to that story about anger and it sort of connects me because my my son has been at the Reading Festival and he came in this morning at half past six he was he was a stand-up he was doing a show there but also he was sort of I don't know what, he, what else he was doing it's best not to ask but he was <laughs> and I remember the last time I was at the Reading Festival it was the most wonderful display of anger I think that I've ever seen because I you know I, I love watching bands and I went to something that was on at about 11 in the morning and no one else is up at 11 in the morning and uh there was about eight people in this tent and this band was so magnificently angry and i <laughs> couldn't hear i couldn't understand a single word at all it was just like what are you, are you, are you, fucking, are you fucking at? and i thought oh this sounds great i don't know what they're on about and i swear the only words that i could actually work out was at the end of this song he just went what are you, you fucking at? school sports day <laughs> Uh, anyway, we are recording on uh, the 30th of August, which means by the time uh, most of you listen to this, it will be or will be very nearly being actually September. And uh, what a month September is, the joint second shortest month of the year. 
Uh, not for September, the shilly-shallying around elongating the year that we see so often from the likes of July, March or August, which is uh, dragging on yet again as we record. Uh, but also September lacks the ostentatious time-disrespecting shortness and variability of February. It's just an solid month that gets the job done in a bog-standard 30-day time span. But could September be under threat? Rumour has it that researchers found that uh, focus groups think people find traditional months a bit boring and confusing. So classic months like September could soon be a thing of the past as the year gets split back into 10 months, each with 110-hour days, with each hour made up of 50 50-second long minutes. Uh, in Roman times, of course, September used to be the seventh month of the year, hence the name, which in Latin means seventh ember, uh, because, of course, months used to be measured by lighting different sizes of fire at the start of the year that would burn until the end of their prescribed month. And if September keeps dropping two places down the month order at the current rate of once per two and a half thousand years, by the year 9500 AD, September will have merged with next March. As always, a section of the bugle is going straight in the bin. Uh, this week, uh, letter writing uh, in the bin. Uh, 1st of September is World Letter Writing Day. Uh, for our younger listeners, a letter is, and I know this is going to sound f***ing ridiculous, a form of communication in which people used to write words on sheets of paper using a pen. Look up all those things in a dictionary, sorry, on a dictionary app if you don't know what they mean. And send it via a postal system with a stamp stuck on the front. A stamp is, ah, oh, there's no f***ing point. Anyway, our section in the bin is a free letter. Uh, all you have to do is provide a sheet of paper and a pen. Um, if you don't have a pen, uh, as uh, again, our younger listeners may not, you can use your finger dipped in ketchup. And uh, we provide you with some free words and phrases to get you started on your epistolary efforts, including Dear, how are you? I am fine. Fortunately, the fish were all unharmed. Gradually readjusting to normal gravity. Thank you for the scimitar. It looks like a really good one. Thus narrowly escaping a painful encounter with a goat. It is great to be home again after such a surprisingly elongated trip to the seaside. I have always feared your immutable power. Hopefully the replacement terrapin will not prove too expensive this time. And looking forward to seeing you again on your release. Uh, do use some or all of those phrases in your free bugle letter in the bin this week. Top story this week, American news, NATO, you are quite literally in America as we speak, as you have been for uh, most of your life. Bring us up to date with everything that is happening, well, uh, in America in general, but firstly in your home states of California. Well, uh, Andy, Mark, uh, Chris, uh, we have a recall election coming up of Governor Gavin Newsom, and I am f***ing boiling with rage. Um <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I I think I might have written 17 hours of commentary. So if you and, and Mark right. need to just go for a walk around the hedge okay. while I scream into the void about how <laughs> mad I am about the recall, you have like you could you have time to you know, take a break. Chris may have to clean it up in post. Um, <laughs> so uh, but here's what's happening. California is headed for a recall election of Governor Newsom on September 14th. Ballots have been mailed. Polls are looking close. And if you thought that what passes for American democracy wasn't stupid and dysfunctional <laughs> enough, if you thought American democracy didn't do enough to empower the most retrograde infantile tribalist urges, may I present to you the California recall system in what is otherwise stereotyped as an island of pro progressive competent governance in a sea of vomit. Here's how <laughs> recall elections work. And this is the second one we've had in my lifetime. 
The first one was in 2003 when we elected uh, Governor uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, who ran on a campaign of uh, having just done a Terminator movie where he mashed a woman's head into the toilet and <laughs> his housekeeper. Um, so Wait, that's the, something for every voter. Yeah. To be fair, I think. Uh, the recall election is a two question ballot only. Question one, should Governor Newsom be recalled? If 50% plus one of those vote voting vote for that, then he's recalled and we go to question two. Question two is, if Newsom is recalled, which one of these 46 shit-flinging baboons should become governor instead? Um, we have lots of options. And then the top vote-getter of that group, regardless of their vote, becomes the governor. So you like maths, Andy. The way that the math works is that the recall goes through with 50% plus one of the vote, which means that 50% minus one of the vote goes to Newsom. And mathematically, just depending on how the vote splits up among the aforementioned 46 baboons, we could end up with a governor that half as many people want to be governor than the current governor who just got recalled. And <laughs> or indeed 3%. Yeah, right. If it works uh, out evenly. Uh <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for running the numbers. It's amazing that Americans have the chutzpah to lecture Cuba for having a sham one-party democracy when we have government by id. Now, a lot of Democrats are mad that the recall is a waste of $250 million when Newsom is up for re-election literally next year. And I can't imagine hating anyone so much that I wasn't willing to wait another six months to stop hating them. Uh or they're all they're mad that at the threat that Newsom could be replaced by a reactionary racist who hates government so much that he wants to abolish lanes on the I-5 freeway to make freeway driving a sort of choose-your-own-adventure type experience, <laughs> but also doesn't understand the government enough to know that the federal government runs the freeways and not the state and the government doesn't get a say. Uh, I hate those things, but as I've said on here before on The Bugle, I hate Gavin Newsom. And I hate Gavin Newsom. Most people didn't become aware of him until he ran for governor in 2018, but he's from San Francisco, so I've had to deal with his bullshit for 20 years. Um, I was reading about uh, one of the candidates, Larry Elder. Uh, oh, good times. Um, a right-wing radio host who spent 27 years honking into the foghorn of syndicated radio, who doesn't believe in a number of things. He doesn't believe the gender pay gap exists. Uh, he doesn't believe in climate change, which he describes as a crock, and doesn't believe in gun control, uh, meaning that logically he believes in guns being out of control, um, which is a tough one to get behind if you're a fan of people not being unnecessarily sh shot to death. Um, I mean, would you would you like him as 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 governor of California? No, I mean, people keep asking me like, who do you put for question two? And and there's no good options. There's like. The guy who thinks that we're going to solve our our drought because we have significant parts of the state that are literally running out of water by piping water from the Mississippi River without understanding that it has to go through thousands of miles of <laughs> desert and mountain to get there uh, and requires the agreement of all the intervening states. Uh would you, uh, you know, would you like the people that want to round up homeless people on put them on barges and send them out to sea in floating concentration camps? Would you like the person who wants to, uh, uh, you know, just let the state burn down in the hopes of uh, some sort of, uh, you know, uh, Phoenix like renewal? Like there's. <laughs> It's it's like if we get to question two, we're done for. So, are they all are they all serious? They because because we have here, you know, there's a tradition here 
of people like there's a bloke called Lord Buckethead and he stands at elections and he just puts a sort of a, a bin liner thing, a sort of little kitchen bucket bin thing on his head. And he doesn't, um, it, it's a joke. It's not a very funny joke, but it's a joke, but it's not, they're not really serious, but I get think your mad <laughs> people seem to be quite serious. Mark, have you not seen who our prime minister is? <laughs> Yes, you make a good point. <laughs> when, yes. when when Boris Johnson first popped up, did, wasn't there some part of you that was like, "This has to be a bit"? <laughs> yeah, no, you, yeah, you make a very good case. In other American news, the Supreme Court has been busy. Uh, NATO, you are our uh, Supreme Court correspondent, and I know you harbour a lifelong dream of being a. Appointed to the Supreme Court to safeguard America's future, and um, the Supreme Court is you know, the the decisive voters in the Supreme Court are uh, one of the legacies of Trump. Uh, how is that going for America? Uh, for Trump, good. For America, bad. Um, <laughs> in a nutshell, uh, the conservative majority in the U.S. Supreme Court issued two six to three rulings last week against the Biden administration's controversial more good, less bad initiatives. Um, <laughs> so they uh, first first they rule they ruled against the White House on uh, immigration and evictions by way of an obscure procedure called the shadow docket. Uh, Originally rarely used and only for emergencies, the shadow docket became a popular tool by the Trump administration and conservative judges to issue sweeping policies in the middle of the night with no explanation, no written signed decision, uh, no oral arguments and on, on an accelerated time frame. What could go wrong? Um, <laughs> and so the court blocked a Biden decision to suspend a Trump policy that required immigrants to wait in Mexico until their immigration hearing. Uh and the policy hadn't been used during the Biden administration, hadn't been used for many months uh, uh, at the end of the Trump administration. But the court wants to put it back on immediately because of one judge in Texas that they want to uphold. And it's a weird uh, argument because the so first of all, it's not even up to Biden, by the way, like just to implement this. They want him to implement the policy immediately. Even if he wanted to, he has to negotiate with the Mexican government. And the Remain in Mexico policy depends on the Mexican government agreeing. So the Mexican president, Lopez Obrador, could just say no, and then they can't do anything. <laughs> so it's like weird to me that the Trump Supreme Court's ingenious plan to stop immigration is to put Mexico in charge of our immigration policy. <laughs> uh, that's like some next level racist jujitsu. And the same people that are mad that there aren't enough workers willing to work at low wages are trying to make it harder to get more workers willing to work at low wages into the country. Uh, this makes me think that the right wing, apropos of our earlier discussion about put-ons, that the right wing was an elaborate plan by left-wing performance artists to infiltrate the American state by pretending to be the most incompetent fascist ever <laughs> in order to accidentally drive up wages by letting 600,000 Americans die of COVID and then stopping immigration. Maybe Trump was the Kaiser Zose of raising the minimum wage. And we spent all this time worrying about the threat of Russia undermining, uh, but half the US used to be Mexico and it would be amazing if the result of that was that they took it back. Um, I... Uh, Trump threatened that there would be taco trucks at every corner, and seriously, I f with taco trucks. I'm super into it. <laughs> but I mean, in terms of you know the, the history of America, uh, I mean, America was founded on an eviction, you know, the eviction of 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 the British. 
So you know, surely this is this is something you should be you should be clinging to. I mean, this is this is like you know the right the right to bear arms. This, these are these kind of curious eighteenth century phrases that you know it is your right as an American to willfully misinterpret to <laughs> the the disbenefit of people today in order to commune with your founding fathers. <laughs> right. Deeply unpatriotic of you, NATO. I'm so uh, sorry. Um, and just in terms of the the Supreme Court, as I mentioned, you know these three justices appointed by Trump, giving a six to three conservative majority. Is it starting to look like uh, putting the future of American uh, lawmaking in the hands of people appointed by a certifiable lunatic might not be long term a sound strategy? Uh, I, the the jury is still out, right? And will. Under this court, never be allowed to be to return. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one final piece of uh, uh, American news: um, Havana syndrome has been rearing its head again at NATO. I know um, you know this is a, this is a, a topic uh, close close to your heart. Can you just um, explain what Havana syndrome is? Yeah, time? sure. So, so Vice President Kamala Harris uh, uh, was delayed on an official visit of Viet- to, to Vietnam because of suspicions of the Havana syndrome. Uh, and uh, the Havana syndrome began so named because it began affecting diplomats and spies at the U.S. embassy in Cuba in 2017, prompting President Trump to close the embassy. Mark, you don't, you may not know this about me. Uh, re- immediately after that, I moved to Havana with my family. So um, I was living in Havana when all this was happening. Uh, at the time, they called it sonic attacks. And the Cubans were so insistent that they were not doing anything to the Americans that they invited the FBI to come investigate. And you have to realize what a big deal it is for the Cuban government to invite the intelligence service of a country trying to overthrow them to come investigate. It would be like a cheesecake inviting me to investigate its shortbread cookie crust. Uh, (laughs) A gutsy move if you want to survive. And so... The or Havana if we syndrome. invited ISIS to come and investigate, we've got a <laughs> right. really, really difficult problem, and we've asked for ISIS to send its best detectives. Oh, that would make the greatest reality TV show that we've ever <laughs> Sherlock Holmes, ISIS edition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on to uh, Britain news now, and... Um, uh, well, exciting news from the the Prime Minister, uh, Mark, um, who, as we've documented on this esteemed podcast of historical record, um, swore the hypocritic oath on taking office, whereby he undertook not to be prevented from saying or doing things for fear of being accused of uh, hypocrisy. And now, obviously, people don't really mean oaths, but he has really embraced his hypocritic oath as, as Prime Minister. I mean, Boris Johnson is to hypocrisy what Wales are to plankton murdering. It's just his nature. He doesn't even think about it. It just happens in spectacular quantities. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, no. This is a this is just mar- a marvelous little quote from him from this week because there's a there's a, a sort of benefits ceiling and it went up a little bit over the course of the pandemic, and it's been removed again because uh, uh, the claimants can't be continue claiming this sort of extra bit that they were getting in the in the pandemic and so on. But there was a marvelous thing he said because. I prefer that people increase their wealth through their own efforts and not through handouts. Not through handouts. <laughs> Boris Johnson. <laughs> this inside, there's not a, this probably his own his teeth were probably given to him by a bloody wealthy donor. There's nothing. This man, it's only weeks 
ago that he was being investigated because he had £200,000, £200,000 to spend on doing up his flat that was already the flat where the bloody Prime Minister lived. So it wasn't some <laughs> shithole with all mould creeping across the corner and mushrooms and earwigs everywhere. So how do you spend £200,000 on doing up a flat? Are the bloody... The, wallpaper the bathroom tiles made of arsenal season tickets and they get beyonce round to do the electrics and the bloody all the plastering was rock for cheese bought from a bloody farmer's market and the water's bloody pumped through by some device made by heston blumenthal or something and instead of a doorbell they've got a real life opera singer and you press her on the nose and she sings the magic flute how the f- do you spend all that? And then she, he wouldn't say where the money was coming from. And it ended up, it was a bloody handout. It was given to him by a Tory bloody lord called Lord Brownlow. And I thought he must just think, well, why can't he, if, if, if claimants are in need of, uh, of, of of finance, they should do what I do. And uh, and presumably that he thinks that's, that they just go, when they're at the laundrette, just ask the woman who does the service wash can you give me £52,000 for <laughs> wallpaper? And that's how you get wealth through your your, your own efforts. Ipso facto, modus vivendi, coitus interruptus. So uh, uh, just to read between the lines, Mark, you are suggesting perhaps that Boris Johnson and David Cameron have not found their own personal success through sweat, talent, toil and meritocracy. Uh, is, is that uh, well? Is that I don't. Uh, does it really amount to sort of you know? Well, uh, this is the, the the way this system has worked. You work hard and you show a bit of acumen and a bit of initiative, and up the ladder you rise. And these they're idiots. If they were in any other, if they worked in the car wash or something, <laughs> people are going, "Oh, for fuck's sake, <laughs> what are you doing?" What are you fucking doing? You've sponged the wrong place. You've sponged the building instead of the car. You fucking idiot. What did you learn at school? How to stick me cock in a pig's mouth. Well, that's not going to help you. Well, it does feel like this episode is becoming a competition. Who's 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 politicians? Oh shit! And it's t- it's tight. It's tight. I would. In fact, I'd swap with Myanmar. I don't know who I wouldn't swap with. They should buy them, shouldn't they, in the transfer window? And a cheeky little bid has come in from Britain for the military dictator of Myanmar. I, I feel like our countries are in a race to uh, see who can be first to single-handedly demolish the myth of white superiority. <laughs> yes. Well, long since long since past here. Yeah. Um so Boris Johnson, as you, as you suggested, has floated to the top of the political pond by clinging uh, to a turd of privilege. But it is, I mean, it is very ex- extraordinary this this idea of you know people's wages rising through their efforts rather than handouts. That, that link between wages and effort is at best tenuous. Compare, for example, a nurse versus the CEO of a FTSE one hundred listed company. I mean, it's fair to say that the CEO does not work does not does not try a hundred and twenty times harder. Than a nurse. Now, NATO as a union representative, have you ever told the workers that you represent that if they just put in, you know, a thousand percent more effort, they could be waltzing home with ten times their current pay packet and just pull your finger out? 
Right. Yeah. No, I, uh, that's why I usually tell them that the best thing that they could do is to go on strike and shut these motherfuckers down. <laughs> that 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 uh, this is this is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm rebuilding Marx's labor theory of value in the streets, which is you don't have your money because someone else has it. And fortunately, we know his name and we can walk to his house right now. <laughs> Not just, yeah, just put it in, put it in a bit harder for the next 30. Um, uh, Britain uh, is running out of European lorry drivers. Uh, uh, Mark, as our um, haulage correspondent, uh, are there any possible reasons why in Britain post-Brexit there are fewer uh, people coming from the EU to do the job? It's that- a, no, I don't know. It's an absolute right. puzzle. I mean, uh, we have a perfectly fair, reasonable re- referendum on Brexit during which one of the main arguments from the Leave campaign is fucking bastard foreign fucking working bastards coming over here in our country. We're better off with that and all that. And, and you know, then certain people bloody pick up on that, builders and that. You know, I used to love the arguments from builders that go, thing is, all the Romanian Polish builders come over here, we can't keep up because they'll say to you, you know, they'll say to someone, we'll come round on a Wednesday, and then they come round on a Wednesday. We can't keep up with that, can we? <laughs> so the suggestion has come that, that uh, these haulage companies hire more British lorry drivers, but then the problem is that it takes you know some time to, to train the lorry drivers on them to get their, the licence to drive these, these, these vehicles. But, I mean, Mark, I mean, should... You need a special license to drive a twenty-five ton lorry if you are British, because surely being British is license enough in it. So, I mean, being a member of the nation that has transported more goods around the world than any other disclaimer, fact may be false. Is that not proof that you can handle a five-axle articulated lorry? I think so. Right. I think if you can ride one of those little velo motor things that uh, the Parisians sent us, that people are now sort of. <laughs> You know, those things that yes. go on pavements and in the yep. road and manage to upturn. They upturn lorries. That's probably that's probably dealt with about a thousand of them. <laughs> just, no, you know, those and they go through the co-op and through your house and, you know, those annoying people. I think if you can ride one of those, that's yep. probably enough, that's isn't it? Or a golf a, buggy. Golf buggy, yeah, because that's got a bit of stuff on the back sometimes. Yeah, just, golf clubs, yeah. Well, um, yeah, can't be much to a lorry, can it? Yeah. Uh, There's red tape, red (laughs) tape that says that you need some vague understanding of how gears work before driving a 20-ton lorry up the M6. It's holding us back as a nation. Pallets. Um, The business secretary, Kwasi Kwarteng, has rejected calls to relax immigration rules, claiming that it would be a short-term temporary solution. For fuck's sake, isn't that what politics is all about? I mean, short-term temporary solutions are the fucking reason we left the EU in the first place, to get away from a long-term lasting solution to the thorny issue of Europe killing each other in industrial numbers every one or in an unusually chilled-out century two generations. <laughs> and also, you know, we, we voted for Brexit in order to take back control of the controls we already controlled anyway, but more so, I, I think. But we did not vote for Brexit to bring an end to the God-given British right to filch useful people from other countries when we can't be asked to generate enough useful people ourselves. Whatever happens to be required at the time, whether it's doctors, surgeons, lorry drivers, number four batsmen, <laughs> or donors to political parties, uh, you know, that is our right 
our, our right to find what we need from the world. In other British political uh, political news, some very exciting news about Michael Gove, uh, who we've discussed in, uh, um, in various bugles over the years. Um, he has been seen, uh, quotes, dancing alone in an Aberdeen nightclub whilst, quotes, merry. Um, now, I mean, it's... This is just not a headline I expected to see, Mark. Michael Gove dancing alone in a nightclub. Uh, I mean, is it a sign of the end times, do you think? I've got a terrible feeling this is going to be good for him. Right. Isn't it? Doesn't it make him look vaguely human, which he isn't? (laughs) Yes. I mean, it could be... I mean, I guess, is Michael Gove dancing alone publicly in a nightclub? better than Michael Gove dancing in the privacy of his own dungeon, um, as he normally does. Uh, I mean, I guess it would be more worrying if he was dancing not alone. That that would make it <laughs> really concerning. Well, his wife's left him, hasn't he? So yes. I suppose... Um, oh. It means that it sounds like he is more fun in a nightclub than, say, Andy Saltzman, who I can't imagine right. dancing in any capacity in the nightclub. No, I don't. Well, I, I don't know. My nightclub stats are, are pretty poor, to be honest. <laughs> not, not many visits, not a lot of dancing. <laughs> my favorite part of the Michael, I, like, I, I don't know anything about this person. I, I don't even know what Aberdeen is, but I read the story. <laughs> uh, my favorite part of the whole thing in the in the article describing Michael Gove dancing alone in the nightclub is that it's is that the article said that he his arms occasionally swung in time to the music <laughs> <laughs> like he was hitting every sixth beat or something yes i mean it's a it's a understandably upsetting concept for many people um gove dancing uh it's an image that frankly is now scarred into the subconscious of all who've seen it um it's just something that doesn't seem right, like a pole dancing pope or indeed a nightclub DJ becoming a cabinet minister, uh, which is sort of the flip side of that. There are uh, reports, unsubstantiated, that he claimed he didn't have to pay the £5 entry fee to get in because he's Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster. Um, uh, there are other reports, also unsubstantiated, that the uh, when he started dancing, the faces of everyone else in the nightclub melted and their harrowed, screaming souls evaporated into the ether. That is just a rumour. Uh, we should emphasise. Uh, it's not the first time a prominent Conservative has appeared at a surprising music venue. Eerily reminiscent, uh, Mark, of course, when Enoch Powell threw his underpants onto the stage at a Small Faces gig in the late 1960s and made a <laughs> call-me sign at Steve Marriott. Or when Norman Tebbit punched Sex Pistols from a Paul Cook in the face at a gig at the 100 Club in 1976 while shouting, I've never felt so alive. And who can forget <laughs> Margaret Thatcher miming along to Sister Sledge's He's the Greatest Dancer in a Top of the Pops recording shortly before the 1979 general election in which she became Prime Minister, viewed as... <laughs> Crucial moment in winning over the electorally important disco fan vote. Yeah, I think New Labour probably as as well. They were yeah. very they were very nightclubby, weren't they? Peter Mandelson and yeah. people like that on, on top of that. But it's funnier when it's these, isn't it? <laughs> Pretty Patel. All right, give it up for my main man. You all know him as uh, Gavin Williamson, the notorious G A V I N coming at you. Uh, in um, sadder musical news, uh, the Rolling Stones drummer Charlie Watts has banged his final drum uh, 
has died at the age of 80. Uh, he's hit a drum or cymbal an estimated half a billion times over the past 60-plus years, probably more or less, uh, based on some rapid mathematics. The Stones, none of whose members went on to record Mull of Kintyre or the Frog Chorus, thus giving them an overall win in their rivalry with their contemporaries, the Beatles, have managed to overcome their disappointment at never being selected as uh, Great Britain's representative at the Eurovision Song Contest to uh, become one of the most influential groups uh, in the history uh, of rock and roll. Uh, and, I mean, they did try to get into Eurovision, uh, despite you know, penning such classics as Gimme Shelter, Sympathy for the Devil and the Roly 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 Stone, theme tune for a kid's cartoon that was never released after the incident during the filming of the video in which a five-ton boulder crashed into a car showroom in the Italian Alps and destroyed a vintage Alfa Romeo once driven by Alberto Ascari. I digress. Uh, anyway, Watts was you know, uh, one of the most, I guess, influential rock drummers uh, of all time. Uh, Mark, are you a Stones Are you a Stones fan? Yeah, I am. And, uh, uh, yeah, you're right about Charlie Watts. I mean, he was, he was a jazz drummer, and that's, what, uh, that's one of the reasons it was so... One of the many reasons why I think the Stones are so extraordinary. Give me Shelter is a classic example of it because it's 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 not classic rock drumming. It's jazz, so it's not to be too. Uh, not that I can possibly be technical, but it's it's sort of off the off the beat. So it's uh, it sounds a bit peculiar. It's a very very intricate song. What I thought was just oh, when he died, and I was sort of seeing all the comments from it, people and most people just you know many many people have gone along to the stadium shows. I've never been to one, which I think is my stupid thing. I've never got gone. Probably because from about, in about 1984, when they first started doing these massive 50,000-seat stadium shows, I thought, oh, I don't want to see them. That's ridiculous. They're too old and past it now. And that, But they are, these shows, everyone who's been to one pretty much says they are amazing. Except you get the snobbery that you get in any sort of culture and people going, oh, no. That's no good. It's all soulless. You don't, you can't enjoy music if 50,000 other people are having a marvelous time as well. That ruins it. To really see it, you needed to see them in a scout hut in Penrith <laughs> in 1961, a year before they were formed, when they couldn't afford any instruments. And Charlie Watts used to bang a Brazil nut on a dartboard, <laughs> and, and Mick Jagger didn't have any microphones. So he had to just write down satisfaction on a sheet of paper and hand it out to people and have to whisper it yourself. That's when you really get to enjoy it. Oh, these f***ing people. And it's the left who are the worst. They can't stand anything being popular. It's just f***ing awful. Well, uh, if you want to see The Bugle live in a non-stadium uh, venue, uh, before we hit the stadium circuit uh, in an estimated uh, two to three years' time. Uh, there is a Bugle live show uh, on uh, Tuesday, the 7th of September, at the Underbelly's London Underground venue in Earl's Court. Tickets available on the internet. Chris, have we put a link on the website or not? We have put a link on our oh. new website, which is now live. Oh, yeah, new website. Andy, Andy, how would you feel if you were standing on stage and you got to hear, you you got to say where and hear 50,000 people say in one voice in the bin (laughs) oh yeah with lights and stuff and there was a hundred foot high Andy Zaltzman on the screen yes matter of time matter of time there was a stage show with actual hair 
<laughs> and then there was loads of people who were listening to the first ones going, it's rubbish now. You won't want to go and see it now. You had to go and see the third one and the sound didn't work and it was just silent. It was much better then. <laughs> that was just me sitting on a bench complaining about the world. Well, uh, that brings us uh, to the end of this bugle. Enormous thanks to uh, NATO and uh, Mark. Uh, NATO, any shows coming up people might like to see you at? Uh, sure. Uh, as usual, uh, please uh, follow me on Twitter at NATO Green, Instagram, Mr. NATO Green. I have a couple albums out. The best way to support the arts is on Bandcamp. Check out the Whiteness album on Bandcamp or wherever comedy can be streamed and downloaded. If you are in Northern California you and you want to see me live, I will be appearing on September 19th, Sunday, at the 40th Annual Comedy Day. Uh, it's a, a tradition uh, where we have five hours of free stand-up comedy in the park. Um, it's like our company picnic comedy festival that we that we do every year. So uh, looking forward to the return of Comedy Day at Robin Williams Meadow uh, on September 19th. Uh, Mark, you have uh, your own podcast now. Yeah, I'll do a little bit of a sort of... Yes, yes, I, this doesn't sound like a rival... You know, like when when someone, when one of the people in The Godfather breaks away to form their own family. Uh, uh, yes, it's called What the F Star 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 is Going On. And um, uh, yeah, we've done 10, we've done 10, which puts us only 4,103 behind <laughs> you. So if we do eight a day for the next 30 years, does that... That's, yeah, you'll be that might do it. The right uh, yeah, so there's that. And then, oh, and I've got a book coming out and, um, uh, and a, one of my shows about towns will be uh, there'll be another series of that soon and um and stuff like that uh there you go do uh buy stroke go to all of those and the bugle live show 7th of september buy your tickets instantly now um i will be on tour next march delayed from uh i might have mentioned i'll be going november stroke december it's now going to happen in march uh, almost certainly um, so further details uh, to come in the meantime we will play you out with some lies about our premium level subscribers to join the Bugle voluntary subscription scheme or to make a uh, one-off or recurring donation of any size go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the donate button Travis Carata is not particularly excited about the prospect of living in an extraterrestrial colony. I can't help thinking it's not going to be all it's cracked up to be, says Travis. Everyone who ends up there is going to be smug as hell about having escaped to a new planet, which I think would pull pretty rapidly. And I don't know what the food would be like, but I reckon it's unlikely to be as good as here. Samantha Lazell is also not likely to be volunteering enthusiastically to be on the first spaceship to blast off to another world. I reckon the novelty would wear off pretty fast once it became clear that the infrastructure will take some time to match what we enjoy on this planet. And I'm all about the infrastructure, me, continues Samantha. Don't believe anyone who tells you otherwise. It's what makes our species so much better than the others, with all due respect to the termites and bees who have, I will admit, some serious infrastructural chops. Joshua Summerhays, however, does not share this scepticism and is prepared to lay aside some lingering concerns about it taking potentially many, many generations to get wherever it is we're going. I get a bit bored after three hours on a train, to be honest, Andy, says Joshua. 
Joshua, however, would love to be in the first batch of humans to arrive at a new far distant home for humanity. What a great opportunity to develop some new recipes with whatever crazy fruit and vegetables we find, enthuses Joshua. I'm not eating alien though. Almost certainly not. Gemma Down would be right alongside Joshua on the rocket. I'm not that fussed about living on another planet, says Gemma, but I reckon that in the time before Batch 2 arrives, we could play some awesome practical jokes on them, like all learning Klingon, or building a 100-metre votive statue to former child star Mickey Rooney, or all wearing 18th-century clothes, or potentially getting someone to dress up like Amelia Earhart and putting her in charge of the whole gaff, something to really make them think something weird is going on. And finally, Tim Strickland is undecided on whether to apply for the mission. Let's face it, says Tim, anyone who's ever watched a sci-fi movie knows these things aren't a cakewalk in the cake park. I mean, if it's not alien mega-beasts eating you for breakfast, or surprise volcanoes belching out poisonous lava, or the new sun running out of fire, the chances are some tool in the crew is going to try to turn the whole thing into his own personal fiefdom. And I can't abide fiefdoms, so put me down as a maybe. Here endeth this week's lies. Goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.